scripture we look at today, Paul starts off and says, uh, you were once darkness, but now you are light. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up as a kid, I was uh, scared of the dark. And as I, I grew up, uh, I wanted to, to grow up probably faster than I was growing up. And so in our house, uh, we had a, a basement, and uh, my mom and dad had a room down there. And so I moved to the basement. Here in California, you might think I was being banned or that was a bad thing, and my parents were mean. But actually, in the Midwest, when you go to the basement, that's pretty cool. I had my own bathroom, my own room. I had a, a living room. I had it. It was awesome. My parents were two floors up. What more could you ask for as a high schooler? Uh, but I was scared of the dark. And it wasn't that I was just scared of the dark, I was fearful of what would happen in the dark. How many of you were growing up were scared of the dark? Raise your hands. Well, that's great. I can't see them anyway. But um, <laughs> as you think about it, some of you are a little scared right now just sitting in the dark. It's a little uncomfortable. But when I was younger, Jesus' words captured me. And I'm going to guess on the day he spoke these words, they captured those that were his followers as well. And he just simply said, I am the light of the world. And he said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We were out of town this week, and uh, we flew back in on Thursday. And as we flew in, uh, we were scheduled to be uh, somewhere at 7 o'clock. My daughter was having her senior recital, and so we landed roughly around 530 at Orange County, and so if you've ever driven back on the 55 at 5.30, um, it's a little crowded, so about halfway home, halfway to our home, Maddie was like, we're not going to make it home, um, you were just going to go straight to Orange Lutheran, I was like, no, we're making it home, I was in a hat, and I was in no position to go to a senior recital looking like that, so we got home, and she looked at me, and she said, you got 12 minutes, <clears throat> I don't know about in your house, but in our house, I take longer to get ready, ready than she does, and so and the 12 minutes was up. She was in the car, and I came outside, and she was in the garage in the car, and she just had that look on her face that I was late, and I was late, but we booked over to get to my daughter's senior recital, and so she had her senior recital, and we got back home, and it was like 10 o'clock or something, and I, I go to, to bed, and I look next to my bed, and, and my alarm clock is, is flashing at me. It's frantically blinking because I guess you guys had some storms while we were gone. Uh, you had hail and rain and, and thunder, uh, which is really exciting for Californians. Um, that was just normal for us in Missouri. It happened every other day. But I got videos sent to me of hail and other things like I had never seen it before, and it was really cool. But it was just blinking at me, and it just kept blinking, and I had to reset my clock. And I think that's what Paul was doing here in Ephesians 5, verse 8. I think he was coming, and he was, he was reminding... Um, these followers of Jesus, these new converts, he was reminding them, that, hey, you need to reset, you need to take a step back, and you need to remember, um, you're not who you used to be because of Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you of who you are becoming in Christ. And this series called Becoming Who We Are is, is who we are now as children of the Almighty God. And as he comes and he resets their life, he begins in verse 8 of chapter 5, and he says this, for you were once darkness... But now you are light. And these three words you might want to underline in your Bible. In the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is, it consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And then he says, find out what pleases the Lord. Notice he didn't say at the very beginning, for you who were once in darkness. 
No, he just shoots straight and he says, you were once darkness, now you are light. On that same Thursday this last week, we had what was called uh, the supermoon. It was the third one. We had one in January, February, and then on March 20th was this supermoon it was called. And it was at, uh, it's maximum perigee is what it, it, what it says, and that's when the moon is closest to the earth. So this supermoon appeared 14% wider and 30% brighter than the normal moon as it rose over the horizon. Anybody see it? A few of you. And some people would say over these last three months, man, did you see the moon last night? It was amazing. And the moon gets all the credit. But it really is the sun that does all the work. Louis Giglio, in his book, Encountering the Glory of God, says this. He says, what truly happens with the supermoon is that the sun is the true star of the show and the moon really is just a bit player. Technically speaking, there is no such thing as moonlight, just sunlight that reaches us in an indirect way. The sun is the luminous object, one capable of emitting light, while the moon is an illuminated object. It is one capable only of reflecting light. But spiritually speaking, we as human beings, we're both luminous and illuminating. We too, without God, are just balls of dust floating through life. But in Christ, he says, we have both become carriers of his divine light and beautiful reflectors of his divine glory. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's why he starts here in verse 8 and he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You see, just as the sun shines at night when the, when the moon is in the right place, God shines in the darkness when we are in the right place in our relationship to him. When our lives are in full view of Jesus and his love and his grace and his goodness and his presence, when we spend time with God through his son Christ and we are engaged in a relationship with the Almighty, his light will reflect off of us so others will actually see him no matter how dark the night is. Amazing, just by our proximity to Jesus, that us human beings, we can bring hope and life to people and places, to family and friends. We can bring hope to those who are trapped in fear and insignificance. And because of Jesus, we can be light and we can be life. And he reminds us that we're not the source, but he is. Not a ray comes from ourselves, but it is Jesus Christ speaking and living in and through us. We're just jars of clay, and we're cracked, and in those cracks, that sunlight has a chance to get out and reflect the miracle of who Jesus Christ is in this earth and in this life. That's why Paul says, you were dark, but now you are light in the Lord. That's why uh, here at this church, you'll hear us all the time talk about this thing called Rooted. And it's a 10-week experience, and, and this Friday night, we had um, 275 people in this latest session that went through Rooted, and we've crossed, I think, over 3,200 people that have done it, but those 275 people graduated. We had 20 groups. 17 of those 20 groups are continuing on as life groups. We had 25 people that were baptized. We had six people that came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and as I, I stood in the back after I did my little five-minute segment and cheered them on, I, I, I stayed and I watched, and we do what these, these things called cardboard testimonies, where people come 
across the stage and they talk about really what happened after Rooted, who they were before and then what happened after they were a part of this 10-week study. And I love it because it, it, it gives us kind of a little bit of maybe darkness and where they were walking and not fully engaged in Jesus, but then things took a turn. And they wrote, a, one wrote, unknown in a big church. But now because of our community, they said, we have 18 new brothers and sisters in Christ. Something that happened in their life, and now they're connected. I love this one. This one says, uh, coasting in my faith. Anybody ever feel like that? What they said, renewed purpose to seek the Lord's will. Love that. And then the last one was, uh, you didn't like that one as much as the first one, right? Is that what that, happened? <laughs> this one you're going to like. Uh, my, my friend Big Ed, he wrote this. He said, felt like a child in my faith. And now a middle schooler. <laughs> and you know what I love about these cards? What, what it says is uh, people are taking a step towards Jesus. They're not perfect, but they, they're going, I was once in darkness, now I'm in light, and, and I'm going to step into this thing called faith, and I'm not going to do it on my own. April 30th starts a new session, and, and those of you who haven't walked through it, we're going to encourage you over the next few weeks to, to get engaged and, and to be a part, because we believe God wants to do something in you and then through you. And you are light. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, and he is your Savior, it says you are light, and to live and to walk in that light. So what does that mean? Well, well, Paul tells us here, there's the positive and the negative. So let's start with the positive. Because you're light, he said, you need to go out and to make a difference. Light on its own doesn't bear fruit. So Paul says, if you're a light bearer, then there should be some fruit that's coming from your life. Something should be produced. People around you should notice that there's a difference because Jesus actually has made a difference. And he says, here's how it is lived out. Fruit is shown in goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. See, fruit produces a harvest when we position ourselves to be fruitful. When we say, God, hey, this week, make me available to be light in this world. It's kind of a simple prayer. You might be a little scared to pray it because God will probably bring some things your way that, that he's asking you to do and who he's calling you to be. But God, let me be a light. And he says, first, I want you to bring goodness to this world. Micah 6.8 defines the mindset of goodness. See, the mindset of goodness then produces the fruit. And the scripture says that he has shown us what is good and what the Lord requires. And he says this, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your Lord. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. Goodness is lived out when we bring justice to the world. Goodness is lived out when we show mercy to everyone that walks in through these doors, everyone that we come in contact, goodness is lived out when we actually walk humbly and acknowledge that we're not all that, but God is. And we're in great need of a Savior. When you see a person of goodness, when you see a person that reflects the love and the hope and the heart of Jesus, you just know it. And there's something that when, they, when you come across them, they capture your heart. My friend Casey is here today, and he texted me on Friday that his father, uh, Glenn, he had told me just uh, really a month ago that he had cancer and uh, he wasn't expected to live a couple months. So he texted me to see if I was home and I was home and he asked me if I could come over because he didn't expect that his father was going to live. 
uh, for the next couple days, they thought he would pass away. And would I come over and, and pray? And so uh, Madi and I got in the car, and uh, he just lives really across the street from us. And so we went over. And if you ever met Glenn Brookman, Glenn Brookman was goodness. And, and many of you didn't have that privilege, and I'm sorry you didn't. Uh, because when you met Glenn, you, you just, there was kindness, there was gentleness, there was strength. It was lived out not only in him and his wife, but in his family. He's cared for his wife these last few years as she's been sick. And Casey told me just a few weeks ago when he, when he got the news that he only had a couple months to live, he actually just kind of smiled and went, oh, I'm ready to go home. How cool is that? He said, I'm ready to go home. And then I see him yesterday, or uh, Friday, excuse me, and, and he's the same way. There was just this peace because he knew God didn't make him for now. He made him for eternity. And as I looked at him before I prayed over him, I shook his hand. And I just said, hey, I just want to tell you, I just want to say thank you first. Thank you that you were a man of faithfulness. Thank you that you were kind. Thank you that you were supportive. Thank you that every time I, I saw you, there was just kind of Jesus there. Thank you for who you were because you emanated Christ. And I got to pray over him. And I said, listen, I might not see you this side of heaven again, but when I get to heaven, I'll see you. And when you get there, just tell my dad hi because um, he's pretty cool. And you two are kind of alike. He passed away yesterday in the early morning, and, and he's hanging out with Don, and, 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 and they're pretty good dudes. And so, um, Casey, your dad was a good dude, and we love him. But that was goodness. Man, do you know what it's like when there's somebody that walks up and you just see Jesus in them? You kind of go, I want that. That's what Paul says. He says, hey, believers, wake up here for a second. There's a lot of stuff going on in this evil world. And I just want to remind you something. You were once darkness, but now because of Jesus Christ, you are light. So live like it. For us, what does it mean to act justly as a church? What does it mean to love mercy and to walk humbly? Well, we just believe at this church, we get outside of ourselves every time we can. Uh, we don't live in scarcity. We live in abundance. Even when we were scarce, we lived in abundance. And we've been asking you to give things away for years, and God has unbelievably blessed this church. Uh, your radical generosity has touched the lives of countless of thousands of people around the world. And so when you walked in, you received this that says, Convoy of Hope. And I'd love for you to just take that envelope just right now. For the last couple of weeks, we've been saying, hey, what would it look like if we gave one day's wages to help somebody eat for not just a day, but for a year? And we said, what would it look like if we as a church just came together with all of our churches across our denomination, 45 of us, what if we all came together to raise $100,000 just to feed a child? Well, that means if we did $100,000, we'd feed over 700 kids for one year for every day. 700 kids, and I was at an event with Convoy of Hope this week, and they're feeding. They got to their goal of 2000, 2020. They wanted to feed 200,000 kids. They got there a year early, and by 2025, they're going for 500,000 kids that will be fed every day and be brought out of poverty, and so we said, what would it look like if we as a church just gave one day's wages to Convoy of Hope with all the other churches, and for one day that we live, we could have a kid that lived for 365. So we're going to 
bring justice and hope to some children today. At the end of the service, we're going to collect these envelopes. Some of you came prepared. If you didn't, that's okay. You can write a check. You can put some money in there. But join us because we're going to raise $100,000. And we'll tell you how much over the next few weeks as we gather all the information from all of our churches. But we're going to be a part of something bigger than ourselves because we're the light of the world. And we're going to bring hope to hopeless people. And God wants us to be those kinds of people. He says this to all of us, 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Peter wrote it, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Hey, business owners, how you doing? You reflecting Jesus in your business? Are you reflecting him in how you treat your employees? How you treat all your finances? Are you reflecting him? Is there something that they might say, oh man, I don't like that guy, but then they come and they investigate you and there is nothing that they can find because you just are a person of goodness and hope and life. Not by just what you do, but by who you are. How are you doing? Because it says, listen, everybody, people are watching and God's going to be glorified. You are the light of the world. And I say it this way, you are the light. So go light the world. Paul says, Come bring justice. Righteousness means that we just do right in the eyes of God and truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And every time you bring goodness and righteousness and the truth, you are pointing people towards Jesus Christ and his loving grace. And he said, listen, live this way as children of the light. Then in verse 11, he comes and he says, now let me give you a few negative things. Let me tell you what to stay away from. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I love that. Wake up. (laughs) And I think he's speaking not only to the followers of Jesus, but to those who don't follow Jesus. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, because you are dead in your sins and your transgressions. But when you come to Christ Jesus, he will shine on you. Today, if you're not walking with Jesus or a follower of Jesus, today could be your day of salvation. There is one who went to a cross to die for your sins, past, present, and future. And he said, I have come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. And he says, by a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, through his son, that you can be saved, not just for now, but for eternity. And he says for us who follow Christ, he said, listen, don't have anything to do with those fruitless deeds. I think these people were dabbling in the world and they had just a little bit of Jesus. And Paul came and said, listen, knock it off. And then he said, expose them. We don't like that too much. But Kenton Hughes said it this way, the silence of sin swells in the darkness until the whole life is infected. Hmm. Diseases we know flourish in the dark. We understand that total darkness would really bring death to the earth and all of its inhabitants. See, sin swells in the dark until everything is infected and then affected. And Paul comes and says, have nothing to do with that because light not only exposes darkness, but it forces it to recede. And I'm pretty good at rationalizing my sin. Don't know about you. I'm pretty good at saying, that wasn't that big of a deal. I'm pretty good at just saying, eh, I can let that go. And I begin to isolate myself and I begin to live in darkness even when I don't know I'm living in darkness. And I begin to fall into the trap and the enemy says, I just got him right where I want him. And I love how James puts it for us as followers of Christ. He comes and he says, hey, listen to this. He said, do me a favor, therefore confess your sins to each other. 
and pray for each other. Well, why do we do that? So that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, look at that. Therefore, confess your sins. Wouldn't you? It's easier to say to God, right? Well, confess your sins to God. No, he says, do it to each other. And then you hang out with each other because this is supposed to be done in community. So why would you confess your sins to somebody else? Because he said that's the beginning of healing. That's the beginning of, of exposing. And it says when you expose sin, God brings light. It's never exposed, never going to get light. And I think in the church we've had this completely backwards. I lived in a church where I felt that if I was going to bring my sin forward, that I was going to be judged and I was going to be ostracized and I was going to be pushed aside. And really, the opposite should be happening in the church when broken, messed up, hurting people come into this place and they tell us that they're broken, messed up, and hurting. There shouldn't be judgment. There should be love and there should be repentance. And some of us are really good at truth. Man, we got knowledge and we can tell them what they're doing wrong. And some of us need a little love. Some of you got way too much love. And you give no truth from Scripture. And Jesus was telling them, hey, come together with truth and love. And this should be a place filled with truth and love that when people come in their brokenness and confess that we love them and help them and help them be restored in Jesus Christ. You know why it feels so good when you say, I'm sorry to someone and they receive it? Sometimes you just expose your sin, and when you say, I'm sorry, and then you receive forgiveness, it's awesome. Now, I'm usually the one in our relationship that, that needs to ask, I, I, I'm sorry, more than Madi does. And, and sometimes I'm so slow to do it. But once I do it, there's freedom there. Well, this last week, there was something that, that um, we got on an elevator, and she goes, you okay? And I said, no, and then I told her what I was griped about. You know, and, and, and then she goes, I'm sorry. And it was really quick. And then before we even got a failure, she said, no, really, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. And I went, dang it, I wanted to stay mad for a lot longer. And I was ready for a good little argument. <laughs> but when she said, I'm sorry, you know what it did? It just kind of broke things down. And I think James was on to something for us that are followers of Jesus. That's why we want you in a group. That's why we want you to develop relationships. So you can have somebody you can talk to. And it says, hey, confess one to another. And what happens? Healing begins. And he says, wake up. Don't be foolish. The enemy wants you in the dark. So he goes on, verse 15. Be very careful then. How you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. If you were here a few months ago, we did a series just titled The Will of God. And we told you that the will of God is the Word of God. And it's where you will find the will of God. And if you don't want to be foolish and live a life uh, that's not pleasing to God, then get in God's Word. And it says out of God's Word, He will begin to tell you who He is. And he's way more interested in who you're becoming than what you're doing. But when you begin to read God's word, you begin to reflect him. And you begin to desire do what he asks you to do. 1 Peter 2 says, For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. It said, Now to that you begin to do good because you begin to understand who God is and the goodness he has shown to you. And then he goes on. He says, Hey, don't get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery, just excessive indulgence. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of a drinking story of someone who was under the influence? Have you ever heard a story that ended better than it started? In the middle of the drinking story, it might have been great because they were at a high. But then all of a sudden, somewhere, they kind of lost control. And then the next morning, it's never good. Many times, some of you have been there. You don't even remember what the night was before. It was good when it started, but when it ended, it wasn't good. And he's not just talking about wine here, I don't believe. He uses that as an example. But you can be under the influence of a lot of things. And under the influence is when something has control of you and you no longer have control. There's this 16-year-old girl that, that got her wisdom teeth pulled, and she was under the influence of anesthesia. And when she was under the influence, she began to talk some crazy things, and her mom recorded her. And so, take a look at the screens and see what this 16-year-old said as her mom recorded her. What do you mean? Was Ellen there? Ellen who? Ellen DeGeneres, Mom. Why would Ellen DeGeneres be at your surgery appointment. Because she should at least support me. It's not, it's not right. Why would Ellen DeGeneres support your, your wisdom tooth removal? Because she should be there to support me. She wasn't. It's not fair. Honey, Ellen does not know you. comes he says hey stop with the foolish behavior don't be under the influence of anything but be filled with the spirit it did get her a trip to Cancun I think Ellen gave her family a whole trip for five days but <laughs> when someone is filled with the spirit or under the influence the comparison ends there and the rest becomes contrast you see because when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit it's not a spiritual intoxication where you lose self-control Actually, you gain it. Because it says the fruit of the Spirit is, is what? It's peace, it's love, it's joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says alcohol is a depressant, but really um, the Spirit is a stimulant. And he said, listen, everybody, wake up. Be wise. Understand the days you're in. Not good. We don't have to elaborate on that. And what is influencing you and what? is controlling you. And after he comes out of that, he says, hey, listen, just speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And what he says is, what's going on inside with your relationship with Jesus? What, how your heart is being shaped by Him will begin to come out in the way you talk and the way you treat others. That's why a few weeks ago it said, do nothing out of a selfish ambition or vain conceit, but with humility of mind consider one another more important than yourself. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need. 
I didn't do real good on that this week. How about you? Do nothing. And don't let any unwholesome talk. What he says is, listen, let the Spirit of God lead you. And God's Spirit leads you. What starts to come out, what starts to be manifest in your life, actually is light. And people are drawn to you because you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. He said, so speak to one another in different ways. In 1962, Motel 6 in Santa Barbara, California, began its illustrious career as a bargain motel. And just for six bucks, you could buy a no-frills room for one night. It's about 50 bucks now. But when I was a kid, they had a marketing campaign with the voice of Tom Bodette. And he said this one phrase. Anybody know what the one phrase was? <laughs> I was rehearsing last night, and I asked all of our worship team, who were like 20, and they had no clue what it was. <laughs> I don't even know if they know what Motel 6 is. <laughs> we'll leave the light on for you. Jesus basically says that. He said, man, when you're light... He said, it's just not happening here. He said, when you go out, he said, leave your light on. He said, when you leave this place, he said, you are light, so go light up the world. And we can only be light when we live out the truth on our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In essence, as the light of the world, Jesus simply says, just leave the light on, Matthew. But I have to be in a constant, ongoing, vibrant relationship with Jesus for that to happen. See, every good moon, every good moon knows that night light comes from the sun. And every follower of Jesus knows that only positioning ourselves or abiding in Jesus and letting his love shine in and through us, only then could someone else's life be transformed. He says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Yeah. Just like the moon, it says, we know it comes from the sun. Just like us as followers of Jesus, it has nothing to do with you except that you are a conduit for the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And he says, I actually want to use you in all of your sin and all your frailty and all of your mistakes. When I went Friday night to Rooted and I was standing in the back and those people were bringing up the cardboard testimonies, there's this one small group that was in the back and there were two people from their group that walked across. And when they walked across, their entire small group stood up and they cheered. And then they started to cry. A couple of them were crying and they raised their hands and they were cheering for them. And I looked and I realized something. They were so excited because they were a part of that person's story of transformation. They sat in the circle and prayed over them and for them. They served with them. They fasted with them. They, uh, they talked about their issues with them. And when that person went across, there was emotion because that person said, I'm different now. Because I made a choice to be light in a dark world. And they got excited. When people were baptized, and you'll see it on Easter, they came out of the pool. One of the dudes had big muscles, so he flexed them. The other dude, the lady, she cheered. And then the one on the far right side, your far right side, they knocked out a, a ceiling panel when they punched it out and it fell in the water. They were so excited. You know why? Because Jesus did something. And they weren't the same. And Paul comes and he says, listen, you could be the same, but because of Christ, you're different. And I'm counting on you. You are light. So let me ask you a question. This week, you just might need to be the light that is left on 
so somebody can come to know Jesus. And as you go on your way out of this room today, two things I want to ask of you. One is a prayer that you would pray, God, I'm available this week. Let me be your light. Just simply pray it every morning when you get up. God, I am available this week. Let me be your light. And then leave it on. And that means you've got to be in relationship and you've got to be in God's word and you've got to be in prayer. But I promise you that God will begin to live in you and through you and just keep praying the prayer of availability. And then the second prayer, who is it that needs to see the light of Jesus that you're connected with? Easter's four weeks away. And I want you to begin thinking about who's that person that you're going to invite to sit next to you on Easter Saturday or Easter Sunday. Who is that person far from God that maybe some of you have already been praying for, but some of you haven't yet, that you need to think about, that you just might be the conduit. You might be the light that they need to see, and you might have an invitation that draws them to Christ. And Easter's the perfect time. Every one of us in this room that is a follower of Jesus, someone invited us to know who he was. And we are here today because of that. Can I just ask you again to become great inviters? Pray a prayer of availability. And then be bold enough just to ask someone. The gospel is the greatest news ever given, that there is this one Jesus who went to a cross to die for our sins so that we might live for eternity. And the picture of Glenn Brookman, who passed away this week and is in heaven today, reminded me once again that when you live for eternity, there is peace and there is hope And death is not final. And so this week, just leave the light on.